You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good afternoon, Chelsea fans, and welcome to our latest edition of Blue is the uh, our Chelsea Blue is the Color podcast. Delighted to be joined today by David Chigi, uh, chairman of the Chelsea um, Supporters Trust. Good afternoon, David. Evening or afternoon, in fact. Obviously, I've been working far too hard today. Uh, afternoon, both of you. Lovely to Counting be here. Counting the hours away. <laughs> and uh, Ollie, Ollie Harbord as well. Uh, must introduce you uh, as a matter of course, I assume. Yeah, no, I appreciate, uh, appreciate being invited back to the podcast again. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, we'll, start, we'll start with the, the big story of the day, which... Um, I helpfully hadn't included on the uh, the notes ahead of this, David, so apologies for that. But um, Alexis Sanchez linked with Chelsea this afternoon. I, I found it perhaps slightly convenient given the timing of the, the Eden Hazard to Real Madrid rumours. But um, certainly the links over the last few days to, to some of the players, David um, Van Dijk, uh, there seems to be some credence to that. Tiamue Bakayoko at Monaco. It looks like Antonio Conte's plans to kind of bolster this this brilliant squad, but clearly a squad he still feels he can improve are, are coming along steadily. But we don't really know, do we? And I mean, that, <laughs> you know, and and that's the thing. I mean, I, I know you know. Obviously, we're we're in the game, so we need we need to write about stuff. We need to talk about stuff. We need content, as does everybody else. But I, I you know, what I've noticed it's it's interesting, isn't it that. Uh, whenever there's an international break, uh, stories and rumour mongering seem to uh, increase exponentially, don't they? Of course. Which mm. always has my suspicions. And I mean, I think, you know, talking about the Eden Hazard issue for, for starters, uh, and I think uh, even Costa to a certain degree, but it seems to be no accident that these rumours uh, are coming from Marsa, which is basically uh, the equivalent of the CFC UK fanzine, but for Real Madrid. <laughs> so you know, I, I think we can we can sprinkle a, a quite a, a big pound of salt. But you know, there's no smoke without fire, is there? Of course. So you know, one one has to accept that. And I mean, you know, I I, I know a lot of uh, very good football journalists, very old school football journalists who, you know, who speak to people who know people and who do their research. So you know, there may well be an element of truth in it. Uh, my own view is that I try and ignore it until it's absolutely a finality. And that's whether people are coming in or whether they're going out. Ollie, the Alexis Sanchez rumor. What what do you do? You think that that is a almost a, a you know convenient timing given these Hazard to Madrid links have been sort of fed out to particularly the Spanish press have gone quite hard on that in recent days. Yeah, I mean uh, the thing is with Hazard and Real Madrid in the in the past is any time a player is hitting their prime, hitting their best form, then they're instantly uh, linked with Real Madrid, aren't they? I mean, they have a knack of taking players and they're 
in their best moments. They took, obviously, Ronaldo from United, which was always a, a, a move that seemed very, very likely. They took Modric as well from Spurs, and then they pillaged them a season later when they took Gareth Bale for a world record fee. So it's a natural thing for Hazard to be linked with these clubs, especially, as David rightly says, during the international break when some people uh, don't quite know what to be writing about next. So so the link with uh, Hazard is always going to be there. Um, I think that it's a, a good chance for... Abramovich to, as I wrote this morning, a good chance for him just to nail down this um, this idea of where he wants Chelsea to go in the future. I mean, he's always been a guy uh, fascinated with European football, and rightly so. You know, it's the great it's a great thing is the Champions League, and we love we love seeing it happen. And uh, you know, if he wants to, if he wants Chelsea to be a real powerhouse in European football, keeping the likes of of um, Hazard is is uh, is an absolute must. When it comes to Alexis Sanchez, I think a lot of Chelsea fans would like to see it happen, I would say. Um, obviously, at the moment, what's going on with uh, Arsenal, it looks very much like he just won't carry on there. I can't see it happening. You know, the relationship seems to be breaking down. But then will Arsenal sell to a club like Chelsea? I doubt it. I think if he's going to go anywhere, it's more likely to a PSG to, I doubt he'll go back to Barcelona, but to a PSG, Juventus, somewhere away from the Premier League that doesn't massively strengthen one of their Premier League rivals. Just just on the Hazard thing as well, <laughs> call me slightly naive given the law of Real Madrid, which, you know, has enticed Ronaldo, has enticed Bale, etc., etc. But it just looks at the moment like everything's so serene at Chelsea, everything's so perfectly set up for him to achieve the, the kind of ambitions that we know as a footballer, he has. He's, a, he's, he's, he's an extremely ambitious footballer. He wants to win the biggest prizes. Chelsea right now are in, are in that a position to offer him that. They're in a position next season, bar a mathematical miracle, to to give him the Champions League football, you know, and that he, he wants to play against the biggest players in the world. He wants to play on that stage. And Chelsea, I don't think it's beyond the... Given, given the right strengthening around the squad, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility to suggest that they can make a real fist of it in this tournament, in that tournament next season. Mm-hmm. David, do you think it's kind of, I guess, you know, everything's there for Hazard to, you know, flourish and achieve what he wants to at Chelsea? I think, yeah, you you would you would hope that, and and you know, from everything that I've heard about Eden Hazard, is he's a bit of a throwback, really. He, you know, he he, he just likes to play football. Uh, you know, it's basically football and his family. He doesn't tend to get into all of the bling and the glitz and the dabbing that other you know, <laughs> so, so-called superstars do. So for him, it's all about the football. And, and I think really, really great footballers are all about winning medals and big trophies. And I think the and weirdly, this kind of is the only thing that worries me in a way, because uh, Eden Hazard pretty much chose to go to the team that had won the Champions League the season before. And, of course, that was us in 2012. And, uh, you know, I would hope that he will stay, providing that we are competing for the Champions League. I think if he gets a sniff that we might not make it again, I think you could well see him go to Real Madrid. Because, as I said, he's always said that Zinedine Zidane was his hero, and, and you can see that link happening. I think in terms of, a, 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 you know, of, of the transfer speculation, I think, in a sense, it's probably more analogous to Ronaldo than it was to Bale because, you know, yeah. we don't need to sell to anybody. No. You know, uh, so, you know, if Real Madrid come in for an offer, we can say, yeah, fine, here we go, 250 million quid. And they'll go, oh, 
you know. So ultimately, it'll depend on whether Eden Hazard wants to go or stay. And I actually, funnily enough, I heard an interview with Raymond Calderon, who used to be the uh, president of Real Madrid. And that's pretty much what he said. Chelsea don't need to sell. Yeah, they can put up put in an, an extraordinary fee. Ultimately, it'll be up to Eden Hazard to to, to stay or go. Clearly. I hope he stays because I think he's an absolutely fantastic player. Mm. And if he stays for a lot longer, he, he could be a real Chelsea legend. So let's keep our fingers crossed, eh? Just just beyond that particular piece of summer business, David, I'm really intrigued because I, I, I've i sort of noticed Chelsea supporters have varying degrees of um, urgency, I guess, in terms of the positions they want strengthened this summer. I just wondered what which areas of the squad you feel need to be strengthened as much as anything ahead of ahead of obviously next season there's going to be more fixtures so do you think that do you think Chelsea I I feel kind of almost um it feels bizarre asking this question to a team that are going to romp their way to the to the Premier League title would you do you think there's a an area that's in need of a particular need of focus well you know what mate I I don't think you should apologize for that uh, because actually, uh, well, no, seriously, and I, and it's I know in that my might very sound odd. nature. Well, there you go. I mean, you know, I know it might sound a bit a bit odd because, as one of the older uh, kind of generation of Chelsea supporters, we we get a bit bored of all of the, you know, the the just this desire to change everything and and treat the game like FIFA 17. But the reality is, is that you know, very good and very successful teams will always strengthen when they're strong, and I've in many respects. I've... Sorry, I was just about to say. I, I just about to say on a previous podcast, I made the point a few times that something that I think, obviously, Sir Alex at Manchester United was was keen to make sure every summer that he had a player that would come in, tread on yeah. a few toes, and make people feel uncomfortable in a position, rather than necessarily feeling like, right, that's it. I'm, you know, I'm in complete command, and my first team plays it. Absolutely right. And before that, uh, you know, Liverpool used to do it. They used to win the league, and then they used to go and. Uh, buy the best player in the English league and pay the record transfer fee. Every time they won the league, they did that. And in many respects, uh, you know, we can look back on that Mourinho season and we didn't really strengthen the side the year uh, they won the title in 2015. And I think there was a very strong argument saying that perhaps they should have done. I mean, okay, I'll accept there was a bit of a transition going on as well, which complicates things. But absolutely. I mean, I think given... Given let's let's assume that everybody stays, that Courtois stays, that Costa stays, that Hazard stays. Given that, I still think we need to strengthen, and clearly I think the position we need to strengthen most is up front, because you know at the moment we've got one world class striker and uh, you know and nothing else, and uh, and I feel very sorry for Batshuayi. Uh, I'm sure he's a lovely lad, but you know clearly he is not doing it for Antonio Conte. Otherwise, he would be getting some more game time, arguably. So I think we need, you know, better backup in the striking department. You could argue that you could strengthen pretty much everywhere, you know. I mean, I know we've got, we, we seem to have quite a bit of depth in central defence now, but, you know, uh, back up to Aspie, back up to Kante. Uh, there, there's, you, you can always strengthen the, the side, no matter what. But clearly, I think striking, the striking department is, is the big priority. Do you think the writing's on the wall for Michi? This summer, Ollie? I think he's he's either out of there permanently or definitely out on loan. I can't, I don't see. It's just a telling sign. Every every game gets seems to get worse for him. You know, I said on uh, on, on David's podcast actually that um, that he was you know during the Stoke game when when Conte was looking for the winner, 
it wasn't Batshuayi that he was going to bring on. And that seems very, very odd for somebody who you paid £33 million for in the summer. He went for Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who I thought had a very good influence on the game. Obviously, yeah. won the corner where they, they won it as well. And he showed some really good signs. And just before they scored, it wasn't Batshuayi being ready to come on. It was Nathaniel Chalaba, which is a real, real telling sign. I mean... I mean, how can you how can you sort of justify leaving your thirty three million pound guy on the bench unless you have no faith in him? And it just seems to be that Conte has no real faith in in Batshuayi to get to get the job done properly. He gave him a couple of chances in the FA Cup games. You know, he scored a couple of goals without really looking like a, a class outfit against teams in sort of lower divisions. So I think yes, I think he's going to be obviously on a large salary, which they probably would want to clear off their books if they wanted to bring in the likes of maybe Murata or whoever. Um, so I could see him quite easily going out the door this summer. Definitely definitely either on loan or a permanent deal. I guess the, the follow-up question I have to that is clearly, evidently, Conte's found the winning formula and you know largely stuck by it, rightly so. He, he's had great success with having that continuity throughout the team. Is there a risk maybe that should he, and, and I completely agree with what David said about the fact that, you know, you can never sort of not strengthen your, your squad enough. You can't strengthen a position too much. But is it all of a sudden going to be a different dynamic for Conte all of a sudden if he has a Lukaku and Costa situation up front that he needs to kind of deal with? Could could it be that, you know, Lukaku plays with Costa if they rejig the formation slightly? I, I think there's... It's something. It's a. It's something that Conte will have to deal with potentially that he's not had to, and that he's clearly come in, seen the players that he thinks can fit the system and do the job that he wants. All of a sudden, next season, if he does succeed in bringing in players that are going to offer that competition from beneath the first team setup, it's a. It's a different ball game for him. Surely. Yeah, but I think you know he's an experienced manager, and I think he's been able to deal with that in the past. Um, you know, he's managed a big club in, in Juventus, and you know he would have had to have dealt with player expectations, egos, if you like. And, and it also depends of if they do bring in these players, you know, not what it's kind of a bit like, what does he promise them? You know, what do they come in with the intention of? I mean, Lukaku's made it perfectly clear that he wants to play European football. He wants to play Champions League football. But is he getting straight in over Costa? Probably not. I mean, you know, I mean, I know Lukaku's having a great season, but Costa is the number one striker at Chelsea. I don't see him completely changing formation over what has been such a successful formation for him this season. That would just seem like a sort of ridiculous thing to try and do straight away. Um, and I think that he, he'll be able to deal with those sort of um, options. I think for me over the summer strengthening, you know, there are maybe the odd places where he'd need to get a new first team starter in. But I think a lot of the time it's just going to be guys that are back up rather and that can come in and um, sort of do a job when they've got more fixtures. Absolutely. Um, I, I guess the other thing next season that, that Conte is going to, it feels like a almost the elephant in the room at times, but given the success, even recent success, uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek over the last, uh, over the weekend, scoring twice for the under-21s, great second goal in particular, uh, Nathaniel Chalaba playing as well. Uh, Dom Solanke scored today for the under-20s and then you've got the likes of Jay De Silva, uh, Chal- Trevor Chalabar. Uh, Dujon Sterling and Mason Mount all, you know, doing great stuff for the under-19s. So, 
there is this raft of youngsters that that continues to kind of bubble nicely under the surface. And and Chalobah has obviously had an impact this season. David, would you like to see more of the youngsters come through? I know obviously it's it's a question that is is regularly kind of asked of of Chelsea and whether they can succeed in in bringing those players through. But are there any that you would particularly like to see? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, the simple answer is all of them. But the reality is very, very different, isn't it? Of course. You know, I, I would be happy to see any of those youngsters play for Chelsea if they're good enough. And therein lies the problem, because if they're good enough, they have to be better than some world-class players and established internationals with a hell Absolutely. of a lot of experience. That is a mighty, mighty, mighty ask, which means they have to be beyond exceptional to make the grade at Chelsea. They really do. And it's a real, real conflict. And, and I really don't see how it gets resolved. Uh, I mean, in, in a sense, um, you know, that, that also speaks of what we were saying about Lukaku versus Costa. I think all of us would say we'd rather have Costa than Lukaku. Yeah. Lukaku is a very modern type of player. And he thinks that he's very good. Well, that's great. I've got no, no problem with players who are arrogant and believe in their ability. But he's, is he going to want to come if he's going to be second fiddle? He left yeah. because he was third fiddle. So, you know, it's a really, really hard, hard square to circle, that one. But obviously, yeah, I'd love to see the kids make the grade, but they have to be good enough. Simple as. Do you think as well, with Loftus-Cheek and Chalaba this season, do you think that's almost the solution in that they've been able to prove kind of their versatility in some respects? Loftus-Cheek obviously offers a very good option as one of the kind of two behind Costa, not obviously not as a a starter week in week out but he's he's given Chelsea a slightly different option in in that final third area and that he's you know a big powerful player different to the kind of nimble style and nimble play of Hazard, Willian, Pedro etc. So do you think it's almost about being able to offer different options in different areas that that's going to be able to open some doors for them? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I was going to say actually, in terms of getting a you know, you know, strengthening uh, the striking department, I think in an ideal world, I would like to see Costa plus a very good. I mean, you know, if not world class, not far sure of it, uh, backup, but somebody who is a very different kind of striker to Costa. Yeah. Uh, and and then you know one of the youngsters. I mean, maybe. I mean, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, I'd be tempted to get Tammy Abraham back, but mm. I mean, why? Why? You know, it, surely if you got him back now, it might retard his growth slightly. Because I mean, he's been doing fantastically at Bristol City, and it would seem a bit of a waste to have him sat on a bench. But ideally, I think that's the mix you would want. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree about the Abraham stuff. I mean, I you know when I saw the the the, Dem, the Musa Dembele floating around for forty million pounds sort of uh, rumours, I was thinking, well, why on earth would you want a £40 million striker in, in Dembele when you've got someone like Tammy Abraham, who has done just as well as, as Dembele did in the Championship, a proven goal scorer, who has just been absolutely superb. I mean, I'm sure that he'll come in over pre-season and, and uh, you know, try and, try and um, get a place in the first-team squad if he can. As David rightly says, you know, will it will it hamper his his sort of um, performance in the future and, and the way he goes? I don't know, but he looks like a really exciting talent, and it's just it'd be I'd love to see him be given a chance and 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 get some first team football at Chelsea just to just to see what it what it's all about. I think, you know, it's it's a, it's a, a problem with the the two old Chelsea years. I mean, we could say over the last few years we can talk about the youngsters that are coming through and wow, look at this youngster, look what he's doing. 
and all that sort of stuff. But if there's no pathway into the first team, it's very, very difficult for them to really flourish and move on. I mean, obviously, as well with Chelsea's loan system, the way they use loan players and, and you know, the amount of loan players they have on their books as well. Sometimes it works. You know, you look at Nathan Ake and, and what he did at Bournemouth and he's come back in and he's sort of been a, a backup to a backup, unfortunately, which has sort of maybe stunted his progression as well because he was doing such good stuff at Bournemouth. It's just a very difficult balance because you really want to keep these young players. Such a shame to see them not come through the first team and hopefully they will do. What do you think the most, the, I guess, the most logical next step is for Tammy then? Do you think it's a, a, a lower lower sort of tier Premier Premier League um, move for him? Do you think, again, in the Championship, possibly a, a promotion-challenging side? For me, I think it has to be a Premier League side. I think he's shown that he can score goals at the Championship level. Um, I don't see any real point of him going back down to the Championship. Um, you know, I really think now he should be, if he does go out on loan, I think he has to he has to go and, and kick on at a Premier League side. I think the perfect thing would be maybe a club that has come up that need a striker, that, you know, he'd get a lot of game time. I think, obviously, that's the perfect one for him. But for me, has to be a Premier League side. And, you know, I think he could really, then, you know, then that would be the absolute, absolute uh, great stuff for him. What about you, David? Do you, do you think it's it's Premier League now for Tammy? He's proven himself, obviously, at Championship level and, and you know, at, in some style. Do you think it, it would be the the next step for him to to prove his you know begin to prove his first team worth to Chelsea potential um, first team worth I should add yeah no I, I I it's difficult isn't it I mean you'd 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 want to see him back at the club but I, I just I just don't see the point of him sitting on the bench so no. yes I think a, a Premier League club would be absolutely the next step for him to see if he can do it. In a in a far better quality league. The bottom line with with Tammy Abraham's is, you know, I, I don't really want to have have him sat on the bench, even though I'd love to see him of back course. at the club. But I think I think you know he's clearly done very very well at Bristol City. So yes, I think the next step up is to go out on loan to a Premier League team. You know, he's gonna he's gonna be playing tougher, faster, better quality football, and it will test him more. And I think you know possibly another season out on loan at, at, at one of the you know the lower I mean, like a Bournemouth. I mean, look, look what look what Bournemouth did for Ake. I think I think something like that would be ideal for him, and then we can really see what he's about, and hopefully he'll have a chance of breaking in the year after that because he's still very young, remember? So I mean, you know, there's no urgency. I don't think. No. Um, international break. I, I I think we will all subscribe to the idea that they should be completely abolished and <laughs> um, consigned to history. But this has been possibly one of the more tenuous and, and most boring in recent memory, particularly given that around the England matches, there was no real Chelsea interest. Um, w- w- is that a disappointment to you, Ollie? Yeah, I guess it is. I mean, look, I've got a real bugbear with um, with the way, just in general, the Premier League is is seen around the world in a sense. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the time people say that the Premier League is the, is the best league in the world. Well, for me... It's the most entertaining by far, absolutely. Um, but we're not producing the the real England international talent. And when you have a team like Chelsea that are top of the league, Premier League, by 10 points, 
and they don't have a single representative in the England national team come a... I mean, obviously, Cahill would have been in the side, I'm sure, and even Captain in the side had he been available. I know he was suspended. You know, it's it's just it comes as a bit of a shame, really, for me. I mean, you know, there was no Man United players in that starting eleven. I don't believe. Obviously, there was a few... Spurs, Spurs guys in there. Um, Arsenal in the in the way of Oxlade and Chamberlain, and it's just, I don't know. It's just a bit of a disappointment for me, and I think for obviously a lot of Chelsea fans, you know, not seeing any of their any of their players playing for England, I'm sure, will be somewhat of a disappointment. David, is that something that you um, kind of agree with? I guess. Well, I, I'd be lying to you if I didn't, you know, admit to finding international breaks utterly tedious because I like many. <laughs> like many supporters, you know, uh, just uh, are more interested in Chelsea and how they're doing, which is very, very, very different from how it used to be. I mean, I remember as a kid growing up, you know, how how proud I used to feel on the very rare occasion that a Chelsea player was deemed good enough to play uh, to play for England. I mean, I, I talked to Kerry Dixon about it uh, on the podcast I do with him last week. And, and there's an, there was an immense pride. And I think, you know, Chelsea... Uh, had a had a Chelsea supporters, I should say, had a huge reputation for following England around everywhere. Sometimes not necessarily for the best of reasons, but nevertheless, there was some firm Chelsea support at England, uh, and we we're a patriotic bunch. But I I, I think the, the I think the thing that the thing that changed for me, and I remember again years ago, uh, you know when when you used to watch England play, a lot of the United players or the Liverpool players would get booed. And you'd talk to Man United supporters and Liverpool supporters and say, yeah, well, we've got no time for England. And I think a lot of it links to that. And I think since we've become, you know, very successful, as successful as them in, in certain respects in the Premier League, you know, you find that the Chelsea players used to get a lot of grief. I mean, I'm talking back in the days of Terry and Lampard at all. And, and I think that really nails it in a sense. You know, England seems to me to be a, a team for supporters of clubs who don't have any tangible success you know if you look at the banners that that proliferate Wembley or or when we go away it's yeah. Huddersfield Bristol Preston you name it and it and really it's 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 a chance for those supporters to go to big matches with watching big players on big occasions uh and it's not really anymore possibly for the likes of us and 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 uh, United Liverpool Spurs you name it it's not for the bigger clubs and and for us, it's it's you know we've seen success, and we want to see more of it, and we want to see more of it with our club, and we know we're more likely to do that than we are to watch England ever win anything. And it's also as well. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? When the when the final Premier League game is finished, how many and there's a few friendlies floating about. How many players suddenly get injured? It's just an incredible thing these days. I mean, it, it mean it feels like I'm not so I'm, you know I'm not going to say this for every single player because I, I don't know. The, the mentality of every single player but it feels like sometimes the club stuff is way more important to them than internationals can be these days and I think especially when there are a few friendlies that float around it's just you know some of the times they just you know I've suddenly got a, a hip injury or a back injury or or a, you know a dodgy leg or a dead leg or something like that just pops up and they miss out on a few international games and and when it comes back to the Saturday Premier League fixtures they're full and fit and ready to go thankfully well, much to much that sorry David go on I was just going to say, imagine being an Everton fan at the moment. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I mean, the minute that I knew Hazard wasn't going to make it, I was delighted. Absolutely delighted because he's not going to get injured playing for Belgium and he'll be fit and firing for Crystal Palace 
Great. Mm, of course. I'm yeah, happy. absolutely. <laughs> well, seemingly, I think we're all delighted at the at the end of the international break and the resumption of, of uh, club football this weekend. Palace um, this weekend for Chelsea. Do you think the Stoke game, Ollie, was a useful reminder for Conte and the players that there will be occasional kind of hurdles they have to overcome, I guess. That was a you know, a psychological test for Chelsea and eventually they got there and passed with flying colours. But Palace again, admittedly, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, they're flying under Sam Allardyce, but they're certainly resurgent and they look like they're they're improving as a team. It, it can't be treated with anything but the, the kind of seriousness they've shown all season. Well, I mean, three games on the bounce now uh, of wins for Palace. And so there is that feeling of, of Allardyce is finally getting his Allardyce ways in, in the sense of the way they set up. I think for them, Sacco coming in is a huge, huge player for Palace. Um, he is going to, you know, they, they're finding some solidity at the back, which is something that Chelsea are going to have to break down. I mean, they've obviously got Man City as well midweek. And so it's going to be two very... Uh, Different games. I think it's Man City next week. Yes. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I am right in that. Uh, I suddenly had a, a, my brain had gone blank. Yeah, so obviously they've got those two very different games. And, um, you know, I think that um, on Saturday against against Palace, it's going to be a similar idea to Stoke. You know, we know how Palace are going to set up. They're going to sit massively behind the ball. Um, it's going to be physical, just like Stoke were. But hopefully, you know, Palace might be a bit... Um, not not quite so many fouls, maybe a bit more, uh, you know, a bit more battling, but in the fair way, uh, to put it nicely. And so I think, you know, it's going to be a real test. And, and the fact they came through the Stoke game shows that they can do it and they've got the fight. They've got the battle to get through these really tough games to, to get over the line. And of course, the Palace, the Palace game, David, was a moment of brilliance from from Azpilicueta and, and then Costa to, to head home. Do you, do you see it being fairly routine this weekend or do you think it, there will be a bit of a test? Um, I do think it'll be quite a test, actually, because, uh, you know, I think that they're a very different side from the side that we played. Uh, when was it? Just before Christmas? I can't remember now. Yes, it, it, was, it, yes. it was. Yeah, it was, I, I was there, actually. One of the few away games I, I managed to make, I'm ashamed to say. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that was actually quite a hard game then. But I think Allardyce, you know, has now come in and he's got them pretty settled and I, I, they've stopped leaking goals. So they'll be a typical Allardyce team now. They'll be tough to break down. Sam will come with a pretty solid tactical plan about how to stop us playing. And I think it, you know, it'll be, I think it might be a bit like the Stoke game, but at home, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, hopefully, I think if, if, if we score early, you know, then we're, we're home and hosed, I would hope. But, you know, you can see them trying to, trying to play for a nil-nil. I, this is the part of the podcast where I, I do I do press for predictions. So Ollie, you you can you can step to the plate first. A prediction for Saturday. Uh, I'm going two nil. I two think nil. I think yeah I think David's right. I think it'll be an early goal. Uh, there might be a bit of tension around just to get that second, but I think it'll it'll end up being a comfortable afternoon. David, well I'm a miserable git, so I'm going to say <laughs> one nil. Fantastic. That's that's fine. Wins all round because I'm going to say I'm going to say three one. Mm. I'm going to say. I think Palace could, I think Zaha particularly could cause a few problems for, for Alonso on that side. But I I can't see anything but a Chelsea win, I'm afraid. Um, I I just think they look, they the, I think the Stoke win was really significant in my mind. Um, the way in which they recovered from a little a little setback to to then go on and claim the three points of four was, um, as I say, very notable. 
Um, David, just just an opportunity for you to talk about um, the Supporters Trust um, fundraiser for the Jack Whitley Memorial. If you'd just like to elaborate on that um, for any of our listeners who, who aren't aware of what you're doing around that. Absolutely. No, thank you for the opportunity. Well, um, it's something, I mean, Brompton Cemetery, which of course, you know, most people will know is, is a cemetery right next to the stadium on the other side of the... Uh, the uh, the railway line from Stamford Bridge. Well, we've had quite a, as a trust, we've had quite an association with them, and we've had a what we call a clean up group that go. In fact, actually, the, the, a few of us were not me. I'm I, I'm ashamed to admit, but a few <laughs> of my colleagues on the on the trust were there on Saturday as it was International Break Weekend, clearing up a few of the Chelsea related graves. So there's you know the uh, founding fathers Fantastic. of Chelsea, the Mears family. Uh, Clark, Claude Kirby was a director. Bobby Campbell, as, as you know, who died recently, his grave's there. There's a couple of uh, well-known Chelsea supporters, uh, Carl, Carl and Tony Broadbent are there too. So a lot of people, you know, a lot of us went around clearing up and, and just making the graves look better. But on the back of that, um, Rick Glanville, the Chelsea uh, historian, discovered that uh, Jack Whitley, who used to play for the club between 1907 and 1914, he was the goalkeeper, and then he went on to be uh, one of the training staff until 1939. Uh, but his last wish, when he died a couple of months after we won the title in 1955, was to be buried in Brompton Cemetery next to Stamford Bridge. And Rick only found this out recently. And he also found out that the grave was unmarked because I think his family didn't have any money. So uh, it was an unmarked grave. So as a trust, we felt it would be a lovely idea to, you know, raise some money to pay for a headstone or a ledger, like a, a flat slab, and uh, put an inscription on there to, to recognise that Jack, uh, you know, served Chelsea loyally and that uh, we'd all got together to, to look after him and, and pay for the, uh, the headstone. I mean, you have to pay for a lot of other stuff too. It's quite a complicated procedure uh, with the Royal Parks to get permission and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, cutting a very long story short, uh, we've set up a, a Just Giving uh, campaign. We're doing pretty well. It's only been open for a few weeks. And of the 5500 that we're looking to raise, we've raised £3,832, which is about 69%. So we're not sh- not far short, but we still need people to, uh, if they're able to, to donate anything they like, you know, five quid, ten quid, whatever they want. And it's very easy to do. You just go to justgiving.com forward slash crowdfunding forward slash jack hyphen whitley hyphen grave or or just go to the chelsea supporters trust.com website all the information will be there fantastic sounds like an absolutely brilliant gesture and the details um for that are also on our website so um excellent please yeah please do come and um and help the chelsea supporters trust with uh, as i say what is a fantastic gesture um, and of jack course whitley. you know Sign up to the Supporters Trust as well. I mean, it's, it, yes. it costs five quid to become a voting member, and that means that you can come to... We, we have about uh, three or four public meetings every year after a game. Uh, we have an AGM uh, at the club every August. And if you pay five quid to be a voting member, you can vote in our annual elections. You can vote for the motions that we uh, put forward, such as atmosphere, ticketing policy, things like uh, the Brompton Cemetery, all those kind of things. And of course, uh, we do a membership survey every year, which uh, really informs us what is important to Chelsea supporters, and we present that to the club. I had a meeting with the with the the board of the club last week, for example. So, um, it's a good way to get your voice heard if you're a Chelsea supporter. Fantastic! Thank you very much for joining us this week, David. And you are Pleasure. more than welcome to uh, to always join us. Um, uh, obviously. Um, 
Dave is also the presenter of the Chelsea Fancast, so uh, please do give that a listen as well as ours. Um, and thank you very much for joining us this week. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, guys. Brilliant. Thank you. And thank you, Ollie, for joining us too. It's uh, it's only fair that I say thank you. <laughs> Thanks too. very much. I thought you were going to leave me out then. <laughs> um, as ever, all the latest Chelsea news can be found uh, at football.london uh, on the Chelsea section of the website. And uh, yeah, please do, uh, please do come and give us a, a follow on Twitter and a like on Facebook too. Um, and uh, yeah, the next episode of the Blue is the Colour podcast will be with you um, at some stage next week. Probably uh, the Thursday, I would imagine, following the Manchester City game. So um, have a great week and speak to you next week.